This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This is your boy, Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stefan Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. And today we have a Halloween edition of Book Club. Ooh. Ooh, I'm very excited about this. But before we get into it, I just have a question. Out of curiosity, Samantha, when you read books, do you picture like actors or people that you know visually when you read or hear like a character's description? No, I have a vague ghost-like picture of them. And that's, oh. I mean, I have like a generic picture of what they look like, uh-huh. um, but they're, they're never of someone specific. Oh, that's interesting. I thought about this before because when things turned into movies or things turned mm-hmm. into, I'm like, oh, that is not who I pictured. But I can't tell you exactly because it's not, <laughs> I go by what they say, but it's not ever of a person that I know. Yeah. You know, that's really interesting because lately we've seen kind of a a spate of people creating programs that are like, this is what the character would really look like based on the description. Um, I always have uh, like an actor or somebody... I have I have a clear picture uh, in my head, and I just feel like the that this book was very descriptive and very easy for me to kind of put, like, oh, it's this, oh, it's this, oh, it's this, and I just it really painted a picture in my head for me. Okay, who did you picture? Well, 
I could tell you, but it would I would have to look up all the actors' names because, as okay. you know, I'm not good with actors' names. That's fair. <laughs> but I could do it. I could do it. Uh, and I think part of that is also just the the cover art can influence that. I've seen some stuff from the show. They're they're shooting a show about this for Hulu. So some of that can influence it. I remember like when Harry Potter came out, I had such a strong like in my brain who everybody looked like mm-hmm. that when the movies came out, I kind of almost had like a breakdown is too strong of a word, but my it was like a war in my brain of like who do they actually look like? And they sort of all kind of came together and created a a composition of both. Um which was really interesting. But I can still remember, at least for a lot of the big characters, what they looked like in my head versus what who was actually cast. So I just always find that interesting when people tell me, like, oh, I always thought this character would look, look like this person or this person or this person. And listeners, if you have any thoughts or experiences about that, please let, let us know because I really am interested in it. But today uh, we have to issue a spoiler alert. Because we are going to spoil the heck out of this recent book. <laughs> because we're talking about Silvia moreno Garcia's 2020 novel, Mexican Gothic. So it's pretty recent. And I, I really enjoyed it. If you don't want to be spoiled, leave now, go read it. It's a pretty quick read. Um, and then come back. And then come back. Uh, and it was very, very successful. It was critically acclaimed. And yes, is now being made into a show for Hulu. A content warning, we are discussing a little bit of eugenics, um, suicidality, general grossness, death, murder, cannibalism. We're not getting too much into any of that. Hallucinogens. <laughs> Hallucinogens, yes, that is true. It's so funny. Sometimes when we put the like content warnings together, I'm like, this is making it sound so much worse than it's going to be. <laughs> but I just don't want to miss anything. Right. But yeah. All those topics are on the table, if that gives you a taste for what this book is about. Uh, and yeah, it does have influences of Jane Austen and Emily Bronte, which I wanted to talk with you about. Right. Because before we recorded this, Samantha, one of the reasons I, w- I was like, I think we should do this one was because I know you like gothic, and it, I've read I it kind of had some stuff to do with like Jane Austen and Emily Bronte. So I was like, I think Samantha will like this one. I'm interested in it. And you said before... Like, you got that vibe, right? Right. The immediately, like, I was like, oh, is this supposed to be a retelling of Weathering Heights? Because it's kind mm-hmm. of that uh, ominous bit with, and it's true, with, like, the head of the household haunting the entire home type of thing. Um, so, yeah, I was like, okay, this is definitely that. And then they actually make mention of the the authors. And I was like, there it is. Perfect. I wouldn't say Jane Austen necessarily because Jane Austen was not in horror in any way whatsoever or mm-hmm. that, that darkness. So I don't think that would be true of it. But the Bronte sisters for sure, Mary, uh, Mary Shelley maybe even, mm-hmm. which sounds like Katerina loved those authors as well. But, you know, that's further down the road. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I was immediately, the, the style of it, the way that it mm-hmm. sets up the uh, characters, the way that it sets up the romance, very ominous. You know something's going down. You know she's walking in thinking everything's fine and they're like, oh, nothing's okay. And mm-hmm. it's a trap. Like that's the entirety <laughs> of the thing. And much like the Bronte sisters, the home has a huge part in in being part of the the darkness. Yeah, yeah. It's very, 
like I said, the author does a great job of painting a picture because immediately you can see like this fog and they're going up mm-hmm. this hill and there's this old mansion there and there's just something off about it. Like the atmosphere was excellently done. And mm-hmm. it did remind me of the Bronte sisters of things I've read from them. Right. And yes, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it very much. Oh, I did too. I really enjoyed it. I was telling everybody about it. They're like, what are you talking about? Like, you got to read it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, it, Yeah, and it it really draws you in. At least that was my experience. It was kind of immediately like, oh, I want to know what's going on. It painted these really vivid and often unsettling or disturbing images. And yeah, much of it does take place in this decaying mansion that is shrouded by fog. So the environment is a big piece of it. It is very atmospheric and very excellent at building tension because you're like, ooh, something's wrong, something's wrong, I don't know what it is, and something's off. Just all these little things that you're like, ooh. Not going <laughs> to end well. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's get into the plot. The story takes place in 1950s Mexico and follows Noemi Taboada, a young, beautiful, clever, stubborn, witty socialite who dates for fun, is studying anthropology, uh, kind of gives that vibe of someone who's like, trying a lot of things, but is really into anthropology at this current juncture. After receiving a bizarre letter from her cousin Catalina, claiming that her English husband Virgil Doyle is poisoning her, Noemi leaves Mexico City for the Doyle home, which is called High Place, and it's located in the mountains outside of a small town called El Triunfo. And Noemi does this at the behest of her father. Her father is like... You're so stubborn. You're so determined. I know you can get to the bottom of this. Something is wrong. Uh, Will you please go and look into this? And I really want to read the letter that they receive from Catalina that starts this whole thing. Because I think it gives a really good vibe of like the writing and what's going on. Okay. He is trying to poison me. The house is sick with rot, stinks of decay, brims with every single evil and cruel sentiment. I have tried to hold on to my wits to keep this foulness away, but I cannot, and I find myself losing track of time and thoughts. Please, please. They are cruel and unkind, and they will not let me go. I bar my door, but still they come. They whisper at nights, and I am so afraid of these restless dead, these ghost, fleshless things. The snake eating its tail, the foul ground beneath our feet, the false faces and false tongues, the web upon which the spider walks, making the strings vibrate. I am Catalina, Catalina Taboada. Catalina, Cada, Cada, come out to play. I miss Noemi. I pray I'll see you again. You must come for me, Noemi. You have to save me. I cannot save myself as much as I wish to. I am bound, threads like iron through my mind and my skin, and it's there, in the walls. It does not release its hold on me. I must ask you to spring me free. Cut it from me. Stop them now, for God's sake. Ooh, chills. <laughs> and now knowing the end, I'm like, oh, she was saying the star. She was saying it. <laughs> She's saying it, yeah, all of it. Mm-hmm. So Noemi is transported to the high place by Frances Doyle, and the road is treacherous and misty, and upon arrival, she's immediately unnerved and annoyed by the strict rules of the house largely imparted to her by Frances's mother, Florence. She's not allowed to visit her cousin without a chaperone. There's no speaking at dinner, no smoking, which, by the way, Noemi smokes. Yes, uh, she's one of those cool girls that did, like, the way you picture it. They describe mm-hmm. it. She's one of those cool girls um, mm-hmm. and things like that. Florence clearly does not want her to be there. 
Um, and the house itself isn't welcoming either, dark and decaying with patches of black mold. Also, they are very behind in technology, uses lamps, yep. oils, oil lamps and candles. There's no radio, there's no TV. Everything is a little dark and they like it that way, just so you know. Yeah. And yes, yeah, came with patches of black mold everywhere. Even the wine is glowing and almost rotten too sweet over the top. The head of the house, Howard Doyle, is old and ill and inappropriate. Noemi is informed that Catalina is suffering from tuberculosis, but she is uh, unconvinced. And yeah, by the way, Francis is someone important, and he, they are. He she tries to flirt with him at the very beginning. She does. She does, and you can tell he's like, oh. Yes. Oh, this is interesting. <laughs> He's not been around many women. <laughs> uh, so, once Noemi is permitted to see Catalina, she begs Noemi to get her a tincture from a woman in town named Marta Duval. Um, and by tricking the family, because they're pretty sure they're like, you can't go, it's too high to get up here, you can't go down. So, Noemi tricks the family and is able to get a ride into town and to walk around unhindered. And she goes to talk to Marta who tells her that the family is cursed and that one of the Doyles, Ruth, killed several of the family members, shooting Howard before taking her own life. Howard survived. In another instance, Francis's father, Richard, was found dead in a ditch near the home. Noemi then goes to visit the local doctor, uh, asking him to come to High Place to give a second opinion on Catalina. And the doctor is really reluctant because he's like, oh, I'm not welcome. They don't want me up there. And Howard himself has made recent racist comments about how none of the locals are competent. Um, but he ultimately agrees. The local doctor agrees to come and give his opinion. And let's step back a bit and talk about Howard and the Doyles at large because, all right, so during the 1800s, British companies and families flooded into Mexico in order to take advantage of local resources. The Doyles in this book are one such family, and the house is near a once profitable silver mine that was later flooded. Um, there's this cemetery on the property with some of the bodies of people who died working in the mine. Um, they are looking to reopen the mine, Noemi learns, and she suspects that they intend to somehow make Catalina docile in order to use her money without her complaint. Um, Howard frequently speaks of, quote, superior and inferior types and of survival of the fittest and keeps books on the subject around, something that angers Noemi, which in turn seems to amuse Howard. So the local doctor confirms that if it's tuberculosis, it's unlike any he has ever seen. Um, and by the way, when Noemi was in a town and, and meets with Marta is to, because Catalina sends her to her as the healer, she's a healer, um, and mm -hmm. gets a tincture to, to Catalina finally. But, oh dear, it causes to have a seizure and makes the Doyles even stricter about when Naomi can visit her. Of course, they all play the victim. Kind of gaslighter. Uh, Naomi starts having disturbing dreams and visions of a gold woman, a buzzing coming from the walls, the mold moving, pulsating and almost calling to her in her dreams that seem real, unpleasant ones that seem to almost drug her to having sex with Virgil and wakes up to after she hears pleas of open her eyes. Uh, she starts sleepwalking, something, something she hasn't done since she was a child, and feels that she's losing her grip on reality, really similar to what happened to her cousin. Uh, and she begins to suspect that Catalina may not be ill uh, and the house is haunted or at least coming for them. 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> um, meanwhile, as all of this is happening, uh, Noemi and Francis do grow closer. Um, since Noemi has to uh, smoke outside, uh, they walk around the misty grounds together, and Noemi learns that Francis, who is definitely the black sheep of the family, studies mushrooms and insects, is well-read and interesting. Noemi, ha- who has enjoyed many relationships in the past, and continues to enjoy it. Like, it's kind of funny how often she'll be sort of like, he's not my usual type. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> she feels herself growing closer to him. However, he is still somewhat distant and warns her that speaking Spanish is not allowed in the home and that they can hear you, uh, that she should leave. He's clearly like very on edge um, and worried about her. This is underscored by other comments from the family, like, smoking hurts us. Just things like that. <laughs> yes, it's very sketchy. So growing mm-hmm. increasingly frustrated and disturbed, too afraid to sleep and feeling cut off after Marta disappears, Noemi decides to send a letter to her father requesting he send help, uh, or at least trying to go out and get help somehow, trying to leave the place. She's done. She's done with this place. She needs to get out. Uh, mm-hmm. But the night before her departure, the Doyles informed her they'll have one final dinner together and that she must see Howard before she leaves to Noemi's horror. Howard is covered in boils, one of his legs bloated, and he is clearly on death's door. And by the way, he's naked. Like, if she had yeah. imagined she was going to come in to him being tucked in and sickly, no, no, he's naked yeah. and showing off all his bits, um, <laughs> including the boils. Um, mm-hmm. and, and the smell of his body is terrible, and she tries to flee, but Virgil and Florence force her to his, her knees in front of him, and he kisses her. Really gross, by the way. Making her mm-hmm. swallow the black liquid that from his mouth that stains his teeth, like it's literally oozing out of his face. And mm-hmm. she feels incredibly ill and passes out having visions. Ugh. Ugh. Um, <laughs> when she wakes, Francis is in her room watching over her, and she is understandably furious. Francis explains that Howard is actually hundreds of years old. Um, he, at one time, he was quite ill and determined to find a cure for his illness. So he found locals in this area who were using a strain of mushroom to heal themselves. Howard exploited this and formed a symbiotic relationship with the mushroom, in part after eating the infant of a local woman who had used the mushroom, obviously against her will. Um, Many others who partook died, but Howard believed his survival meant he could use his medicinal knowledge to make himself immortal. And to accomplish this requires a number of things. So, firstly, the house is infused with the mushroom. Um, The air inside is full of spores. It heals uh, the family in there and makes their lives last longer. It is what has been calling to Noemi, dulling her senses, making her want to give in to Virgil's advances, and wants her to become part of the family. Um, Secondly, the exploitation of the working class in order to fund their eternal lives is something that they have to do to achieve this immortality. Um, Thirdly, they need children. Um, Howard didn't want to, quote, dirty the bloodline, so he decided to have children with his sisters. Uh, Lately, though, the women of the family have not been producing as many children, and Howard, to Florence's chagrin, believes introducing new blood, like Catalina and Noemi, who are compatible with the fungus, is the key to their survival. The visions Noemi has been experiencing are what they call the gloom, 
which is essentially a hive mind or like that kind of spider web thing that Catalina described in the letter at the top, since the mycelium is connected and bodies can serve as mulch for it. Uh, it has absorbed the memories of those before it, and that means that Howard can transfer himself into a younger body. It also kind of explains, like, the haunting. It's sort of like these memories that you experience in the gloom. Francis tells Noemi in Spanish that he will help her gather supplies, because, again, they don't understand Spanish, uh, and that the tincture disrupts the effects of the spores but must be used sparingly. Noemi is hesitant to trust him, also understandable, but agrees on the condition that he help rescue Catalina too. And later, she also decides he should leave with them. Francis informs her that the fungus keeps them from leaving, that that is what happened to his father, Richard, when he tried to escape. That's how he ended up in that ditch. Um, she may be able to leave, but he is part of the family as and much longer exposed to this fungus, will not be able to. But Noemi does not give up and communicates with the women before her in the gloom, like through her dreams, uh, to try to find a solution to this. Frances gives her the tincture and a razor blade after she asks for a weapon. Noemi attempts an escape, but only makes it a few meters outside before the house and the fungus makes it feel like she can't breathe. Virgil carries her inside and humiliates and harasses her. She is told she must marry Francis, who in turn instructs her to play along, that their chance of escape will be when Howard's body dies and he transfers his consciousness uh, into Virgil, um, that Ruth weakened all of them when she killed some of the family and attempted to kill Howard. Right. Yeah, Ruth is one of the daughters who hated the process. I guess all the women kind of hated it, except for Florence, correct? From what I can gather, like, it we find out like it, Agnes later on. I couldn't get a real read on Agnes. I couldn't tell if she, like, willingly sacrificed herself or unwillingly okay. sacrificed herself. Yeah, so we'll yeah, talk about that all more important. in a second. But, yes, yeah. the women were not happy. Ruth was mm-hmm. one of them that was very not happy and tried yeah. to get out, tried to kill everybody. It did not work. So all mm-hmm. these things happened. Ruth was the mm-hmm. voice, by the way, that said, open your eyes. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I thought was interesting. Um, the pair, Francis and uh, Noemi, are married, and they prepare to escape. However, Francis is detained, um, and Virgil reveals he drugged them and makes clear he desires to make Noemi his. Uh, Noemi fights him off, knocks him off, uh, taking a sip of some of the tincture and retrieving the razor. So all this happened um, while... Virgil was pretty much attacking and accosting her. Catalina has some too, and they go to find Francis, only to discover his mother is coercing him to giving his body to Howard. So it was always Francis and not Virgil. Oh dear, the plan. Um, Naomi tries to stop him, and Florence attacks her, who is really strong at this point, uh, leading to Francis killing her. Uh, Catalina stabs Howard in the eye because she comes awake and alive and starts stabbing the hell out of him. And the trio flees into the mines and tunnels as the house shudders around them. And they feel the pain because Howard's in pain and Francis is struggling under the influence of the fungus as well. It's bad. Yeah, it's not good. So they find Agnes's grave. And Agnes is one of the sisters one of Howard's sisters, um, that he... That he married. Yes, that he married. (laughs) They find her grave, and Noemi realizes that she was sacrificed, buried alive, so that the fungus could have a human mind. And that's something Howard, like, 
determined that it needed was this human mind. And she exists as a living, waking nightmare, a body to grow spores out of so Howard can control his family and others in their orbit. Noemi tells her to open her eyes. She tells Agnes to open her eyes, which, yeah, just as she has heard in her visions. Virgil reveals that he always intended for Howard to die and now wants to truly take his place because, yeah, Virgil has just appeared. And he wants to use Catalina and Noemi for children. Um, Just like Howard, Catalina says Virgil in the eye and Noemi sets the body of Agnes on fire. All the mushrooms start to burn and the trio escapes down the mountain. They are carried forward by the local doctor, though Francis takes several days to wake. When he does, he reveals he has a dream of high place and better condition than ever, that he is locked in and unable to escape its opulence. They also kind of question, like, if you burn mushrooms, a lot of times mushrooms grow better out of the ashes, which also gave me goosebumps. It's like, oh. Um, but anyway, uh, Noemi tells him it was just a dream and promises to take him to Mexico City where they can be together. The end? The end. <laughs> it was ominous ending. I was like, okay. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? (laughs) Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, 
And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So I must ask, do you know anything about the Hulu series? I don't. I think it's a 10-part series. That's all I know. Okay, so it's going to be a limited series. Are they going to try to open it up like uh, Game of Thrones and we're all going to be disappointed? (laughs) I don't know about that. I don't think so. Okay, just checking. (laughs) But it was, I mean, it was definitely, to me, it felt like it. there was room for a sequel. And this is a recent book, so. She did leave it open as if they could be haunted by this, as if there's going to be a call for them. Because there's also like... The whole legends that a lot of the miners were burned alive on purpose or purposely killed, uh, let to die so they could be fertilizer for this mushroom. Yeah. Mulch. Mulch, they were called. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well. Let's get into the themes then. Let's get into the themes. One of the big themes, yes, is using women and using the working class. Um, so I wanted to start with this quote. Noemi, like any good socialite, shopped at the Palacio de Hereo, painted her lips with Elizabeth Arden lipstick, owned a couple of very fine furs, spoke English with remarkable ease, courtesy of the nuns at the Monastera, a private school, of course, and was expected to devote her time to the twin pursuits of leisure and husband hunting. Therefore, to her father, any pleasant activity must also involve the acquisition of a spouse. That is, she should never have fun for the sake of having fun, but only as a way to obtain a husband, which would have been fine and well if father had actually liked Hugo. But Hugo was a mere junior architect and Noemi was expected to aspire higher. So I want to include that because this is right in the beginning. Hugo is this guy she's attracted to. She's hanging out with at this costume party in the beginning. And I feel like this quote is a really good example of a lot of things we talked about in uh, Persuasion. But you know, this idea you have to get a husband, that's your whole goal. You have to get a good husband of good standing. But this was sort of this whole book was sort of the like horror of that. This whole book was, oh, Catalina did that, and now she's trapped in this night, like living nightmare, where she's basically just a just a shell of her past self and someone to use for money so that they can open their mind again. And they're trying to do that to Noemi as well, and also just someone who used to create, procreate, to get children. Mm-hmm. This yeah. is like, this whole statement of like, oh, you've got to find a good husband. That's your whole point in life. This book was like, well, okay, but look at the horror of that. Right. Well, also you have to remember the reason she came, yes, she wanted to save Catalina, but the bargain was that her father was going to let her go to the university to continue to study that's anthropology. Right. Mm-hmm. And the only way she could do this was by doing this favor. And her mother was very disappointed in, in the fact that she wanted to go and said the line uh, that, that it's, you're supposed to be a debutante to wife and anything in between was a distraction mm-hmm. from the true purpose. So, like, that's the entirety. Like, even though, yes, they're a little more 
normal, I guess is the word. And, and that, <laughs> But like this, at this point, that's the whole purpose of women in Mexico. And she was talking about the fact that in the 1950s, Mexican women were not even allowed to vote. So, of course, mm-hmm. this made sense. This is their livelihoods. But yeah, the tragedy of it is, holy crap, look at what happens. We become a whole, a whole trap and we become a sacrificial to the, the patriarch which is that conversation. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then this is the line, girls were supposed to follow a simple life cycle from debutante to wife. To study further would mean to delay the cycle to remain a chrysalis inside a cocoon. And yeah, exactly. That's that line. She was not cool either way <laughs> to being just herself. Yeah. Yeah. And I think... There was a part of me that when I was reading it, like, you never really get to see Catalina before she's induced to this state. But the way that Noemi describes her is she was a very vibrant woman. Mm. Kind. Very kind. Like, she was a very just lively, interesting person. And now you just see her and she's in bed and kind of like a a very shell of herself. And... Noemi, I felt, was a very, I thought, interesting um, hero. And I thought she was like, oh, she's funny, she's witty, she's charming. She's got these uh, interests and faults and all this stuff. And I liked her a lot. And then to see her, like, again, I could be reading way too deep into this, but to see her kind of pulled into this marriage she did not want, which is what happened to a lot of women, and to hear you're going to be used for children and that's it. To see her reduced to that was like, oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> this is kind of what we were asking of women a lot at this time in marriages was like, you make yourself smaller, you reduce yourself and you are secondary to whatever the man, the head of the household needs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's another quote. Mr. Vasco Leseos makes it very clear that the unattractive will not procreate. Beauty attracts beauty and begets beauty. It is a means of selection. You see, I am offering you a compliment. So this is by Howard, and he's being all creepy, which is often all the time. But that was throughout the book, too, this kind of really reducing people to genetics. Um, That's where this whole idea of like superior and inferior and genetics comes in. But it's just really gross. (laughs) It's just really gross to hear them talk that way and to know that this guy has lived a hundred years and is really looking at it as just like, how can I prolong my life and the life of my family? How can you play a role in this? Right. And the thing is, like, I don't think it's just even his family. It's just his life. So he just needs yes. to use the children for him to continue to mm-hmm. live. Which I thought was interesting, too, because I feel like that's, you know, we've talked about this before, but that idea of your children being more a representative of you than actually something... Like, you're, you're more concerned about how they represent you than themselves. And that was definitely shining through in this, in this book. Because, uh, yeah, he... You know, I just realized, I thought Francis couldn't be his next in line because that wasn't his kid. Yes, it was his grandkid, but not his kid. I thought it had to be his kid. I think they thought so, but they were so desperate. Oh, so they, because they didn't, why didn't he use Virgil just for safety? No, because he liked Virgil better. 
So Vir- Right, but that was his actual kid. Yes, but he wanted Virgil to like, he actually wanted him to live and have his own life because he was the, quote, better one. So Francis was more expendable, so I'm going to try it with him. And if it doesn't work, then I'm sure they would have gone for Virgil, which is why probably why Virgil was okay. like, no, I'm going to kill this guy. <laughs> okay. Because, yeah, if I remember correctly, it was never like, it had to be his kid or something. I think they really tried to keep it very in the blood, and this was their, like, oh, God, it's not working. We have to branch out because we're dying okay. off. Um, desperate times. That was a sidetrack. Yes. Keep going. <laughs> yes. Uh, but here's another quote to underline this point. A woman's function is to preserve the family line. And I think that that was throughout, yes, this idea, we need the women to have the children. But after that, like... That's all they're they're all they're good for, um, and you see this suffering of Agnes especially, which, again, as I said, I wasn't clear, and maybe it could be because I read this in one sitting because I was like, ooh, um, I wasn't. Clear. I felt like Agnes did agree to sacrifice herself. She was like, okay, I'll do it, but then after, because it, it essentially involved burying her alive. Um, right. And so in that, and she was scraping out in that yeah. process. She was like, okay. Maybe I didn't want this, or maybe I was wrong. But from that, the spores grow and the mycelium grows. And so it's like her living nightmare. But it's the pain of this one woman who is keeping this whole thing alive. Um, And she's, yeah, she's having this nightmare. It's really pretty disturbing and descriptive of when you finally, like, realize what's going on and how it describes her as just this, like trapped woman who is just in this nightmare and that's her whole existence and like to have that woman's pain at the suffering of all of this at the heart of all of this I think is a pretty telling about how we treat women it's something we've talked about a lot in our horror things about how we'll just use women's pain for all kinds of things. <laughs> mm-hmm. In this case, yeah. And then something else is definitely the the suffering and expendability in the minds of this family of the working class because the servants are seen as kind of like test cases for this uh, fungus or either they are husk. Or like they are literally servants that are living in the house that are just kind of hollowed out and controlled by this fungus. Mm-hmm. And that is what kind of props them up. Uh, you got the miners, yeah, who who are buried. So just using people in that cruel way and throwing them away. And then there was a lot of stuff, especially in the beginning, because I would say this book took a turn in the middle uh, about what you thought where it was going, maybe. <laughs> um, you knew it was <laughs> ominous, but you weren't quite sure. But there was a whole there was a whole lot of stuff I noticed about women navigating men and social situations. Uh, so here's a quote. I wouldn't say demanding exactly, concerned more like, she replied, taking care to smile to show him this was really a small matter that might be easily resolved and it must have worked for he nodded. And I just remember reading that and being like, so yeah, this is still... We still talk about doing this stuff as women of like, you got to put on your smile, you got to manage this man's anger and his expectations and whatever. And, you know, at first, 
when she first gets there, like, you know something's off, but she's still trying to be polite and still trying to get what she wants by managing uh, these people. And you just see so many instances of her having to deal with, like, real nonsense and having this fear of what will happen if she doesn't placate them. Right. She definitely has to uh, control her temper. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, and then there's another quote. It bothered her to be thought of poorly. She wanted to be light. Perhaps this explained the parties, the crystalline laughter, the well-coiffed hair, the rehearsed smile. She thought that men such as her father could be stern and men could be cold like Virgil. But women need to be liked or they'd, they'd be in trouble. A woman who is not light is a bitch and a bitch can hardly do anything. All avenues are closed to her. Yeah. Right. Yeah, but she she definitely had like an inner war of, she was very strong-willed. Mm. So she felt this, tried to do this, tried to fit into this, all of these customs and expectations around her. But in the end was ultimately like, no, <laughs> I need to see my cousin. You're not listening to mm-hmm. me. Like got fed up. But I did think that that was interesting. Um, and here's another quote. Then you won't help me. You're afraid of them. Oh, and here I am without a friend in the world, she said, clutching her purse and standing up slowly, her lip quivering dramatically. Men always panicked when she did that, afraid she'd cry. Men were always so afraid of tears of having a hysterical woman on their hands. <laughs> I just thought that was funny. She's clearly learned the game. <laughs> right. Well, the woman, uh, hysterical woman, has been had been used again when they were trying when she was trying to talk about how do I get my cousin out of here? They're going to think we're just too hysterical. Yeah. Women. Yeah, and I I thought that was a really... I liked that twist where she has that moment of like, maybe Catalina is perfectly sane and there's something wrong in this house. <laughs> right. There is something wrong here. Yeah, I really, really liked that. Um, yeah, just to note again, I thought Noemi was a badass. Um, if it's not clear oh, from yeah. these quotes, I really liked her a lot. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. 
When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. Just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. There was a lot of stuff that we've talked about before in horror of not believing women, dismissing women, gaslighting women. Here's a quote. I want you to go, Noemi. Virgil says she's been asking for you, she here being Catalina. Besides, I think this is a matter that may be best handled by a woman. It might turn out that this is nothing but exaggerations and marital trouble. It's not as if your cousin hasn't had a tendency toward the melodramatic. It might be a ploy for attention. In that case, why would Catalina's marital troubles or her melodrama concern us? She asked, though she didn't think it was fair that her father labeled Catalina as melodramatic. She'd lost both of her parents at a young age. One could expect a certain amount of turmoil after that. So this is early in the book where uh, Noemi and her father are talking about whether or not Noemi should go visit Catalina. And I thought this was interesting where she's sort of immediately like defensive of Catalina. Like she's... Oh, no, I, I agree something's going on here. I don't think she's being melodramatic. Like, maybe I don't want to deal with it. But she does become very protective of Catalina. She's a big defender of Catalina. She won't leave her behind. So I did like really seeing that, where she was not ever like, oh, I think she has lost her mind, or oh, I think she was always, always thinking, oh, I remember how she was. This does not match with how I remember her, and I'm not going to just dismiss her. So I really liked that, um, especially like the doctor. So the the Doyles have a doctor that they use who turns out to be kind of like influenced by the fungus as well. Um, and mm-hmm. he is so dismissive of Catalina and of Noemi. He's, he's a part of the family. Yes, he is. But I feel like they kind of like, don't treat him that way, but yes, he is. No, yeah, he's a like he's a descendant of them, so therefore he keeps close to them. Yes, um, and he he's incredibly dismissive. And you also see Virgil laughing at Noemi's suggestion of the psychiatrist, which was also racist. Because yes, uh, again, this was that whole thread through line with the Doyle family of like, oh, the locals could not possibly have a good therapist. That would be ridiculous. 
And then, like, when you see the the blurring of dreams and reality and the gaslighting, because they knew what was going on. They knew what was happening to Noemi. Catalina went through the same thing. I don't think we said it, but Catalina tried to get away, too. Mm-hmm. And just playing on, like, oh, you're sleepwalking again. Oh, maybe something's wrong with you. Oh, maybe you're stressed, like, turning it on her. Well, they also blamed her for... Catalina's seizure, yeah. which had happened before, and they, you know, was did not relay that part at all. They're like, wait, you knew this? Mm-hmm. And you're trying to pretend like I did this on purpose? And then you said it was opi- opioids? And yeah. that was none of that? That doesn't, you are every bit as the gaslighter of the entirety of the thing. And they made her feel so guilty yeah. that she felt guilty, mm-hmm. and therefore was like, I almost killed my cousin. Yeah. Yeah, they were very, very effective at gaslighting, <laughs> um, especially with the dreams, because they would kind of try to get her to admit to the dream and kind of succumb to the dream. And when she wouldn't, they would be like, oh, no, it was just a dream, um, even though she had a real sense that it wasn't. And she was right. <laughs> um, but they would just be like, oh, no, you walked into my room. What? There was also the idea, which we talked about before, of uh, Noemi building off of the work women have done in the past. So she was able to hear these other women like Ruth um, and later Agnes and hear like what they went through and they would talk to her and try to give her advice as the story progresses. And then Noemi is sort of able to take that advice and use it for them. Mm -hmm. And yes, as we said, feeding off a woman's pain because that's sort of what this whole thing was about. Literally. Yeah. Yes. Including eating children. Yeah. Yeah. And then there was a lot of weaponizing of uh, sexuality, especially against Noemi from what we see. A lot of using her desires against her. Because um, she's a... Which may have been planted. Yes, very much influenced by the fungus. But she was somebody who likes... Um, she liked dating. and She liked being with men. Uh, if I'm remembering correctly, she had never actually had sex because she was too worried about the reputation, what they would say right. about her. But she did like, right. like that aspect. She flirted. But then also she would lose interest after a couple of days. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But um, Virgil in particular, you see him manipulating and dehumanizing her, harassing her, trying to make her feel certain ways. Uh, here's a quote. Another pretty girl for his collection which is something that was said about Howard, I believe, mm-hmm. about Noemi. But kind of this idea of like, oh, she's pretty, let's bring her in. Which, yeah, because that's the whole, like, if Francis had been possessed by Howard, that would have made her his. Yeah. Um, which was that intent. And then Virgil soon on talks about how he was going to take her for himself, essentially. And then when Francis came to his her rescue, essentially, or defense, he was like, we can share her. No, I was like, oh. Yeah, no. Angry. No, <laughs> no. Yeah. Just talking about her, yeah, like she's an object. This is gross. Nasty. There was a lot of stuff about family in here. We've already talked about a lot of it, but yeah. Um, I would recommend reading it for more because it's sort of hard to break down. But I mean, essentially, you've got this fungus family. <laughs> and the fungus dra- family. And the fungus indeed. family and the drama within. And... uh sort of the tears within of ideology. And then you've got, as I said, Noemi and Catalina. And Noemi really not giving up on on Catalina. 
And then, yes, there's a lot of stuff about eugenics and racism, the superior, inferior ideas, natural selection, immortality. Um, There's incest, good blood versus bad blood. There's wanting to use Catalina and Noemi for different slash hardier blood. The whole idea of uh, Noemi and Francis speaking in Spanish because they never bothered to learn Spanish. So, As in fact, it was almost forbidden. Yeah, in that it area. was yeah, in forbidden that in the house. Uh, the, there's a lot of imagery around the snake eating its tail. So like, it's just a circle of this creature eating itself, which is sort of what is going on here with trying to keep this bloodline going. And it's all, all of this is rooted in sexism, misogyny, racism, and colonialism, this family and their immortality. Yes, and it should be noted that they obviously, the villains in this is the Englishmen coming to uh, Mexico to take advantage of the silver mines, which they've always made their money in. Yes, that is bigger than a metaphor, I believe. (laughs) More obvious than a metaphor. (laughs) (laughs) I think so. And then I wanted to end on uh, the horror because this book is really very good at like, getting under your skin. <laughs> it's really creepy. I really, really enjoyed it. So I just wanted to include this quote to close it out so you kind of get a, a taste of, of what's going on here. Next to Noemi, the wall had started to quiver, beating to the same rhythm as the golden woman. Beneath her, the floorboards pulsed too, a heart alive and knowing. The golden filaments that had emerged together with the mushrooms covered the wall like a netting and continued to grow. She noticed then that the woman's dress was not made of lace, but was instead woven with the same filaments. The woman raised a gloved hand and pointed at Noemi. She opened her mouth, but having no mouth, since her face was a golden blur, no words came out. Noemi had not felt scared, not until now, but this, the woman attempting to speak, it made her indescribably afraid, a fear that traveled down her spine to the soles of her feet, forcing Noemi to step back and press her hands against her lips. She had no lips, and when she tried to take another step back, she realized that her feet had fused to the ground. The golden woman reached forward, reached toward her, and held Noemi's face between her hands. The woman made a noise like the crunching of leaves, like the dripping of water onto a pond, like the buzzing of insects in the pitch-black darkness, and Noemi wished to press her hands against her ears, but she had no hands anymore. Noemi opened her eyes, drenched in sweat. For a minute, she didn't remember where she was, and then she recalled she had been invited to High Place. She reached for the glass of water she'd left by the bedside and almost knocked it down. She gulped down the whole glass and then turned her head. The room was in shadows. No light, golden or otherwise, dotted the wall's surface. Nevertheless, she had an impulse to rise and run her hands against the wall, as if to make sure there was nothing strange lurking behind the wallpaper. Ooh. I love it. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, it was very good. Yes. Highly recommend. Great Halloween read. <laughs> mm-hmm. Great all the time read, uh, mm-hmm. to be honest. And it's got a lot of going on that we didn't even talk about. So, yeah, check it out uh, if you're if you're interested and you haven't already. 
Um, and as always, we're looking for those recommendations for our next book club. You can send those to us at our email, which is stephanieamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast or on Instagram at Steph One Never Told You. Thanks as always to our super producer, Christina. Thank you. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff One Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.